Okay, uh, brothers and sisters, praise us be to our loving God for gathering all of us again to study his word. So we move right along uh, in the book of Numbers. We studied Numbers 14 and 15 last week. Today we're going, we're going to study number 16, and the title of our study is Rebellion. There's a reason why it's entitled Rebellion, and you will find out soon enough, because let's move right ahead uh, to the book of Numbers, chapter 16, and the verses 1, who is the one guilty of inciting and leading rebellion, and against whom did they rebel against? Let's read the book of Numbers 16, verse 1, Korah, son of Ezar. From the Levite clan of Kohath, rebelled against the leadership of Moses. He was joined by three members of the tribe of Reuben, Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, son of Peleth, and by 250 other Israelites, well-known leaders chosen by the community. So who led a rebellion against the leadership of Moses? His name was Korah. Now, who was the father of Korah? His name is Izhar. You know, Izhar had a famous brother. Do you know who that was? Who is that famous brother of Izhar? His name is Amram. Do you know the famous son of Amram? His name is Moses. So what does that make Moses and Korah? First, cousins. And so here's Korah. Perhaps he's jealous of Moses because he was the chosen one appointed to lead the people of Israel. And so what does he do? He leads a rebellion against the leadership of Moses. So this rebellion was led by Korah. Korah influenced others to rebel against Moses as well. And so who did he win to his side? Bible says he was joined by three members of the tribe of Reuben. Who were they? Dathan, Abiram, and On. Take note, do you still remember who Reuben was? Who's Reuben? Because they come from the tribe of Reuben. He was the firstborn son of Jacob. This is why many of the Reubenites, they wanted leadership roles, role of authority and power over the people of Israel because after all they belong or they were the sons of Reuben right and so as the firstborn son they demanded more power and authority not only the Reubenites but 250 other Israelites these were not regular Israelites Bible says they were well-known leaders and so this rebellion was led by Korah. He was the leader of the rebellion. But he had powerful followers. Who were they? The Reubenites and 250 other Israelites. This is why you can say Moses and Aaron, well, they had a big problem in their hands. And what was their accusation against Moses? Why did they rebel against Moses and his leadership? Let's read verse 3. They assembled before Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. All the members of the community belong to Yahuwah, and Yahuwah is with all of us. Why then, Moses, do you set yourself above Yahuwah's community? So what was the accusation of Korah? And because of this accusation, he was able to convince the other leaders to side with him and go against 
Moses. He said to Moses, you have gone too far. He said, you have set yourself above Yahuwah's community. And so let's keep in mind chorus rebellion. It, it's composed of chorus accusation, right? What was his accusation? He's saying that Moses set himself above Yahuwah's community. Here's my question. Who was the one who appointed Moses to be in that position? Was it the people? Was he elected by the people? No, he was appointed and placed there by who? Yahuwah God himself. Take note, Yahuwah chose Moses because Yahuwah chose Moses. He was the one to lead the people of Israel. Now, when Moses found out about this rebellion, what did he say to Korah? Let's read Numbers 16, 8 to 10. Then Moses spoke against spoke again to Korah. Now listen, you Levites, because remember, Korah was a Levite, right? Does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the community of Israel to be near him so you can serve in Yahuwah's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister to them? Korah. He has already given this special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? What also characterized the rebellion of Korah? We know he accused Moses of placing himself above the community, right? What is behind that accusation? What was it that Korah was demanding? He was demanding for the priesthood. This is why Moses said to him, why aren't you content with what you have? Because what you have is something great. What did Korah have? Because he was a Levite. He was given a sacred and special ministry. What is that? He was to oversee the services of Yahuwah's tabernacle. Question, is that a sacred thing? Yes, absolutely. The Levites were set apart by Yahuwah God himself. So what Korah had was something special, but that was not enough for him. What did he also want? He also wanted the priesthood. This was the rebellion of Korah. He wanted more than what God had given him. This is why when we look at Korah's rebellion, it has these two elements. The accusation, he said, he's saying to Moses, you have placed yourself above Yahuwah's community. Because he's demanding for the priesthood. But Moses tells him, no, you cannot have the priesthood. Be content with what you have. What you have is the ministry around the tabernacle of God as a Levite. And so his demand, he wants the priesthood too. However, by demanding the priesthood, what was Korah essentially doing? Let's read the book of Numbers 3, 5 to 10. Then Yahuwah said to Moses, call forward the tribe of Levi." And present them to Aaron, the priest, to serve as his assistants. They will serve Aaron and the whole community, performing their sacred duties in and around the tabernacle. They will, also, they will also maintain all the furnishings of the sacred tent, serving in the tabernacle on behalf of all the Israelites. Assign the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They have been given from among all the people of Israel to serve as their assistants. Appoint Aaron and his sons to carry out the duties of the priesthood 
but any unauthorized person who goes too near the sanctuary must be put to death. What was the problem with the demand that Korah made to Moses? By making that demand, he was going against who? Yahuwah himself, because Yahuwah was the one who made a, spe a, a special decree, a decree that cannot be broken. What is that decree? Those who are to serve as priests will come from the sons of Aaron. Aaron was a Levite, yes, but God chose him and his descendants to serve in the priesthood. If they do not belong among the sons of Aaron, they have no business in becoming priests. Because if they were to do the work of a priest, they would be unauthorized. What would happen to them? The Bible says they will be put to death. So the problem with Korah is he doesn't want to be an assistant, right? He wants to be a priest, not an assistant to a priest. And so he makes a demand. I want to be a priest too. Moses says no. And so he tells Moses, why do you set yourself up above the community of Yahuwah? And because of this demand, what does Moses say to Korah? Number 16, 11, Yahuwah is the one you and your followers are really revolting against. For who is Aaron that you are complaining about him? And so Moses tells him, you're not really revolting or rebelling against me. You're not rebelling against Aaron. You're rebelling against who? God himself. And this is why in, in this instance, Korah and his rebellion was really a defiant rebellion against who? God himself. Well, how about Dathan and Abiram or Abiram? What was their complaint against Moses? We know Korah. He wants to be a priest. Well, how about the others? What was their complaint? Number 16, 12 to 14, Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they replied, we refuse to come before you. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey, to kill us here in this wilderness, and that you now treat us like your subjects? What's more, you haven't brought us into another land flowing with milk and honey. You haven't given us a new homeland with fields and vineyards. Are you trying to fool these men? We will not come. And so Dathan and Abiram, they also had a complaint against Moses. What was the basis of their complaint? Basically, their living conditions, right? What did they say about Egypt? They said Egypt was a land flowing with milk and honey. And so they were basically complaining about their present condition in the wilderness. And what did they say about their present condition? They said to Moses, you have not brought us into another land flowing with milk and honey to be our new homeland. We're going to die here in the wilderness. Can you see something wrong with the heart, mind, character of these people? Who was the one who decreed that they stay in the wilderness? Whose decree was that? Yahuwah. Why did God, Yahuwah God say to them, you're going to stay here in this wilderness? Because of their faithlessness, all right? And so they were complaining against Moses when it was not Moses who made that decree. Who was it? Yahuwah God himself. And then they go on and say, why do you treat us like your subjects? Perhaps they thought they were being mistreated. Maybe they felt that Moses was taking advantage of them. 
And so because of this, what did Moses say to them? Number 16, 15, and Moses became very angry and said to Yahuwah, do not accept their grain offerings. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them. And I have never hurt a single one of them. So one thing true about Moses, yes, he was in charge of leading the whole people of Israel, but he never took advantage of them, right? He never abused them. He did not even take a donkey from them. He did not hurt a single one. He did not use his power and authority to oppress any of those whom he is leading. This is why when Moses found out about the rebellion, you know what he did? Number 16, 4 to 5, when Moses heard what they were saying, he fell face down on the ground. You know what he did there? When he, faced, when he fell face down on the ground, what was he doing? He was praying to Yahuwah, right? That's what you do in times of crisis. When you have big problems, you pray to Yahuwah God. And so after he prayed to Yahuwah God, verse 5, remember there's a big gap between verse 4 and verse 5. So he prays to Yahuwah God. Yahuwah responds. After Yahuwah responds, Moses responds. And so what does he say to Korah in verse 5? Then he said to Korah and his followers, Tomorrow morning, Yahuwah will show us who belongs to him and who is holy. Yahuwah will allow only those whom he selects to enter his own presence. And so because of this rebellion, take note, this rebellion was led not by regular members but by powerful, well-known leaders of the community, led by the first cousin of Moses himself. What's his name again? Korah, right? And so what does Moses say to Korah? So that they will find out once and for all who is in the right. Number 16, 6 to 7, Korah, you and all your followers must prepare your incense burners. Light fires in them tomorrow and burn incense before Yahuwah. Then we will see whom Yahuwah chooses as his holy one. You Levites are the ones who have gone too far. And so Moses was given, by, given instruction by Yahuwah God so that it can be clarified who was in the right, right? So that people will know whom Yahuwah approves and whom Yahuwah rejects. What does Moses do? He says to Korah, prepare your incense burners. This was the test. Does this remind you of somebody else in the Bible? Who's, who does that remind you of? The test concerning a fiery sacrifice. Can we say? Elijah. Elijah, right? Remember when he was speaking against Ahab? This is how we will know who belongs to Yahuwah God. What is that? You get your prophets and we will see when the fire will come down from heaven. Which offering will be accepted? Yours or is it mine? Right? And so Moses and Elijah, they're kind of uh, connected in that way, aren't they not? Right? And so when Moses issues the challenge, prepare your incense burners. What else does Moses say to Korah? 16 to 18. And Moses said to Korah, you and all your followers must come here tomorrow and present yourselves before Yahuwah. Aaron will also be here. You and each of your 250 followers 
must prepare an incense burner and put incense on it so you can present them before Yahuwah. Aaron will also bring his incense burner. So each of these men prepared an incense burner, lit the fire and placed incense on it. Then they all stood at the entrance of the tabernacle with Moses and Aaron. And so he told Moses told Korah, bring all of your followers here, including 250. And so it was 250, the Reubenites and Korah against Moses and Aaron, just like the 450 prophets of Baal against Elijah, right? Here, it's Moses and Aaron against 250 and the others. And so what, was, what were they to do? Each of them were to prepare an incense burner, light the fire, and place incense on it. This would set up the scenario by which people will know who truly belongs to Yahuwah, our God. However, before this, meanwhile, what were Korah, what was he up to? What was he doing? Number 16, 19 to 21. Meanwhile, Korah had stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron. And they all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. And the glorious presence of Yahuwah appeared to the whole community. And Yahuwah said to Moses and Aaron, get away from all these people so that I may instantly destroy them. And so Korah incited not just the 250, but the entire community. How did they do that? They spoke against Moses and Aaron. And so this time the whole community went before the tabernacle. And they wanted to go against Moses and Aaron. And when Yahuwah God saw this happening, what did he say to Moses? He said, get away from all these people because I'm going to destroy them instantly. When Moses found out about this, what does he do? What does he decide to do? The book of Numbers 16, 22. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. Oh God, they pleaded. You are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Must you be angry with all the people when only one man sins? The Bible tells us about the humility of Moses. The whole community were incensed against him. God wanted to destroy them, but Moses, he interceded on their behalf. This is why Moses and his ministry typifies the ministry of who? Yahusha, right? He's a type of Yahusha. Without Moses and his intercession, these people would have been destroyed instantly. And so the Bible is telling us about the role of Moses and even Aaron, that they were to intercede for the people because this points to the work of Yahusha HaMashiach. And so Moses prays for the people. What does Yahuwah do? What does he say to Moses? Number 16, 23 to 26, and Yahuwah said to Moses, then tell all the people to get away from the, from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So Moses got up and rushed over to the tents of Dathan and Abiram, followed by the elders of Israel. Quick, he told the people, get away from the tents of, the, of these wicked men and don't touch anything that belongs to them. If you do, you will be destroyed for their sins. And so we know what's going to happen to Korah, to Dathan, Abiram, and the 250 other leaders who rebelled against Moses. What's going to happen to them? They're going to be destroyed. Always keep this in mind. Those who rebel against God, those who rebel against the Son of God, they're going to be destroyed. They will reap what they sow. 
rebellion against God, rebellion against the Son of God, they will reap the whirlwind. They will be destroyed. And who will be destroyed together with them? Those who are affiliated with them. You notice that? This is why Moses, because of God's instruction, tells the people to what? To get away from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Get away from them. Because if you are with them or near them, you too will be among those who will be destroyed. This is why if we can identify people that will be destroyed because of rebellion, we need to keep away from them. We need to not be associated with them at all. Keep that in mind because we're going to go to that later on in our lesson. And so what happened to these people who were warned by Moses? Numbers 16, 27. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram had come out and were standing at the entrance of their tents with their wives and children. And so the people moved away from the tents. However, Dathan and Abiram, they came out. They stood at the entrance. What happened after that? What does Moses say to them? Number 16, 28 to 30. And Moses said, this is how you will know that Yahuwah has sent me to do all these things that I have done. For I have not done them on my own. If these men die a natural death or if nothing unusual happens, then Yahuwah has not sent me. But if Yahuwah does something entirely new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them and all their belongings and they go down alive in the grave then you will know that these men have shown contempt for Yahuwah. And so Moses, when, all, when the people were there, the 250, the Reubenites, Korah, and so they were preparing their incense burners. And here's Moses speaking to them. What does he say to them? He says to them, if this is how you will know that Yahuwah has sent me. And so there was a test. Don't you wish? We have a test something like this, right? This is how you will know if Yahuwah is with us or not. This is how you will know if Yahuwah is with you or not. Let's do this test. And what is this test? This, this test is powerful and dramatic. As dramatic and powerful as it gets. What does Moses say? He says to them, if these men die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, then Yahuwah has not sent me. Wow, take note, you know, the instruction Moses is giving, undoubtedly, this came from Yahuwah God himself. And he adds, but if Yahuwah does something entirely new, the ground opens its mouth and swallows them, then you know that God has sent Moses. Is that dramatic or what? Is that powerful or what? Don't you wish we can do something like that today? <laughs> if the earth will open up... <laughs> then once and for all, we will know who is right and who is wrong. Don't you wish? Don't we all wish we had that kind of test? But we don't have that kind of test, right? What kind of test do we have, though? What test do we have? It may not be dramatic, like the earth opening up and swallowing people alive. But what is the test that we must always use so that we will know who is in the right the test of what scriptures 
The Bible says, test all things. How can we test all things? What's the standard by which we will know which is of God and which is not of God? The word of God. You see, at this point, they don't have a Bible, do they? But we do. And so what does God want us to do? Use the Bible. That's our test. We need to look and examine scripture. This must be the basis of what we do because this is how we know who God approves and what God approves. The scriptures, the words of Almighty Yahuwah. This is why that's our test. But with Moses, it was a powerful, dramatic one, right? And so after he said this, what happened immediately after he finished speaking? Number 16, 31, 33, he had hardly finished speaking the words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men along with their households and all their followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. So they went down alive into the grave along with all their belongings. The earth closed over them and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. So what happened? As soon as Moses stopped his speech after he finished speaking, Bible says the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men along with their households all their followers who were standing with them. Then the earth closed over them and swallowed them alive. Was that dramatic? Yeah. And those, the other 250 and the others who were watching, what happened to them? 34, 35. All the people around them fled when they heard their screams. The earth will swallow us too, they cried. Then fire blazed forth from Yahuwah and burned up the 250 men who were offering incense. What happened to the 250? They were burned up. They were offering incense, but they were unauthorized to do so. And so they perished. Fire destroyed them. This test revealed with dramatic and, pow and powerful fashion those who belong to Yahuwah and those who do not. During our time, it's more subdued, <laughs> wouldn't you say? However, we must always rely on the test of Scripture. God gave us that book so that we will know the difference between good and bad, between right and wrong. That is what we need to practice. So after this happens, what does Yahuwah instruct uh, Moses to do? Number 16, 36 to 38, and Yahuwah said to Moses, tell Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, to pull all the incense burners from the fire, for they are holy. Also tell him to scatter the burning coats. Take the incense burners of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives and hammer the metal into a thin sheet to overlay the altar. Since these burners were used in Yahuwah's presence, they have become holy. Let them serve as a warning to the people of Israel. And so what does Yahuwah God instruct Moses to do? To tell one of the sons of Aaron, his name is Eleazar, to go and get the incense burners that were used by the 250. Why does he want them? Why does Moses or why does Yahuwah God want that Eleazar get these incense burners? Because they're holy and they're going to be used as thin sheet overlays of the uh, tabernacle. And so what does Eleazar do? 39 or 40. So Eleazar, the priest, collected the 250 bronze incense burners 
that had been used by the men who died in the fire, and he hammered them into, into a thin sheet to overlay the altar. This would warn the Israelites that no unauthorized person, no one who has not who was not a descendant of Aaron should ever enter Yahuwah's presence to burn incense. If, any, if anyone did, the same thing would happen to him as happened to Korah and his followers. So Yahuwah's instructions to Moses were carried out. And so Yahuwah wanted to communicate the seriousness of the holiness of what he has decreed. What is that? He said, Aaron and his sons are the priests outside of them if anyone will use the priesthood for themselves they will be destroyed let us keep in mind the holiness of yahuwah our god this is why during our time we have a respect and a holy reverence for that which belongs to god the temple of God, the tabernacle of God. And what is the tabernacle and the temple of God today? What is it? We'll give you the answer in the worship service this coming weekend. But we need to understand that God is very serious about holiness. Now, after all this event, after this event, this powerful dramatic event, you would think that the community would have learned not to rebel right? <laughs> what happened next? You might be shocked, brethren. Number 1641, but the very next morning. I mean, how can you forget something like that, right? Apparently, they forgot. And so the following morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed Yahuwah's people. Poor Moses. I know. Can you kind of feel for Moses? Kind of feel bad for him, don't you? I mean, he's leading all these people, countless numbers of people, but they complain against him when they have no water. They complain against him when they have no meat. They complain against him when they have to go to the promised land. They complain against him because of Korah and God destroys them. And now they complain against him because of what Yahuwah God did. So how do you think Yahuwah God felt about this? <laughs> mm, I wonder what happened. Well, We'll find out because of the action of Moses and Aaron. We read verse 41. Let's read. Uh, let's continue reading. This is what happened. And Moses said to Aaron, quick, take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar. Lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and make them right with Yahuwah. Yahuwah's anger is blazing against them. The plague has already begun. So what did Yahuwah God do? Because of the rebellion, because they complained against Moses, saying that Moses killed Yahuwah's people. What did Yahuwah God do? He sent the plague. And when the plague had begun, Moses and Aaron, realizing what was happening, that the anger of God was burning against the people of Israel, immediately, what did Moses tell Aaron to do? Quick, he says, take your incense burner. Lay incense on it, carry it out so that you can purify the people of God so that their sins can be forgiven. This is why the role of the high priest, Aaron is the high priest after all, the role of the high priest is so important because many of us, well, I think we should say all of us, 
We all deserve, really, to be punished by God, don't we not? Right? We all deserve to be destroyed because of our sins. It's a good thing we have a high priest greater than Aaron. What's his name? Yahushua HaMashiach. In this case, there was a plague. The plague were killing the people of God. And so Aaron, in following the instruction of Moses, he interceded on behalf of the people. What happened? 47 to 48, Aaron did as Moses told him and ran out among the people. The plague had already begun to strike down the people, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. He stood between the dead and the living and the plague stopped. You notice the words, he stood between the dead and the living, the plague stopped. What does that point to? The work of who? Yahusha as the only mediator during our time. You see, the ministry of Moses and the high priest, Aaron, was to point to something greater, the ministry of Yahusha HaMashiach. And so if the intercession of Moses and Aaron was able to purify the people, saving them from the plague, how much more the sacrifice of our high priest, Yahusha the Christ. How many people perished because of the plague? The book of Numbers 16, 49 and 50, but 14,700 people died in that plague. In addition to those who had died in the affair involving Korah. And because the plague had stopped, Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tabernacle. And so, brothers and sisters, because of Moses and Aaron, the damage was limited because of the work of Yahusha, the death appointed to us is reversed. We can now live forever because of the ministry and the intercession of Yahusha HaMashiach. However, we need to learn because the Bible was given to us so that we can learn from the past. What must we never do? We must never ever follow a Korah figure, right? We must never, ever rebel against God, never rebel against the Son of God. Which brings us to the following question. I want you to look at it on the screen. Does the Bible teach us about a type of Korah? Because if there's a type of Yahusha, right? If there's a type that points to future events. For example, we know Joseph was a type of Christ. Joshua was a type of Christ. We know that. Moses was a type of Christ as well. Even Aaron was a type of Christ. But is there also a type of Korah? Because during our time, the Christian era, will there be those who will be like Korah? What do you think? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah? I think so. If there is someone who is, an act, who is acting in the spirit of Korah, what would you do? What would you do? Stay away. Do not even affiliate yourself with him, right? Remember, Korah influence, who does he bring with him? The leaders, right? The leaders. These are spiritual leaders of Israel. Korah brought the spiritual leaders with him to rebel against Moses. Is there a Korah during the Christian era? There is. The book of Jude, chapter 1, 4 and 11. 
For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license of, for immorality. And take note, what does it say? Deny Yahusha Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed in, rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Remember the question we asked you? If we can identify today a figure that is in spirit the same as Korah, what are we going to do? Keep away. Why? Because the Bible says they are destroyed in Korah's rebellion. This is why Moses warned the people, get away from these men, right? Because they will be destroyed by Yahuwah God. And so the Bible is telling us there are those, there are certain men who act in the spirit of Korah in the sense that they are rebelling. In this instance, who are they rebelling against? The Bible says they will deny who? Yahusha. What does that mean? They will deny Yahusha. They will deny Yahusha Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. In other words, if they will recognize another sovereign or another Lord instead of just Yahusha. Because the point there is, when a person recognizes someone else as Lord instead of Yahusha alone, what does that mean? They're denying Yahusha. That's rebellion against the Son of God. Does the Bible speak about rebellion in these last days? Oh, yes. Second Thessalonians 2, 3 down to 4. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You know, one way that you can rebel against someone, for example, when it comes to Korah, his rebellion was he was accusing Moses for taking something, that, for making himself above the community, right? You know what's worse than that? When you yourself make yourself above the community, when you exalt your self. That's also rebellion. And so when we take something that belongs to God, when we take something that belongs to the Son of God, and we take that for ourselves, what is that called? Rebellion. Rebellion. Now, is there a rebellion like this that will happen in the end days? Yes. The Bible says this will happen before, before the day comes. There's going to be a falling away. And this pattern of falling away from the faith or apostasy will be led by people who will bring for themselves or give to themselves authority and power that belong only to who? To God and the Son of God. And so how was this fulfilled? I mean, how can it be fulfilled even today? How can a person rebel against God and the Son of God today? Let's read the book of Matthew 23, 8 to 10. You must not be called teacher because... You are all equal and have only one teacher. And you must not call anyone here on earth father because you have only the one father in heaven. Nor shall you be called leader 
because your one and only leader is the Messiah. How can a person rebel against God today? By taking authority that belongs to God for himself. What is that? What is one way you do that? Bible, Yahusha says, do not call anyone on earth your father, right? Does it mean you cannot call your dad father? That's not what Yahusha meant. What is Yahusha referring to here? The fatherhood that belongs only to who? To God, right? For example, the father of souls. Who's the father of souls? Yahuwah. And so if you take that and apply it to yourself and say to the people, I also am a father in the spiritual order, what are you doing? You're rebelling against God, right? Well, how does one rebel against the Son of God? Same thing. Yahushua says, do not call anyone on earth your leader. Does it mean that we do not have spiritual leaders who will lead the church? No. God appoints leaders. What then does Yahushua mean when he says, do not call them your, your, do not call them leader? He says, because your one and only leader is the Messiah. In other words, what is being forbidden by Yahusha is to recognize someone here on earth to have the same power, the same authority that belongs only to who? Yahusha HaMashiach. What is he? He is Lord, right? Yahusha is the one to him we accord complete submission and obedience. It is to him that we say, Obey and never complain, not to anyone else, but to Yahushua only. Remember Chorus Rebellion. You set yourself above Yahuwah's community. He said that of Moses. He wants the priesthood. How is that being fulfilled today? Hebrews 13, 15 and 17. Therefore, let us offer through Yahushua a continual sacrifice of praise to God. Proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Remember, Korah, he was accusing Moses of setting himself above the community, right? And he wants and demands thee priesthood that doesn't belong to him during our time what is the priesthood of Yahusha? he is the high priest not only is he the high priest what kind of priesthood does he have the one that is of the Melchizedek order he is both king and he's also the high priest this is why he has executive authority over all things in the church who is that Yahusha. Are there spiritual leaders? Yes, but they are assistants to Yahushua. Remember what Korah wanted? He didn't want to be an assistant. He wanted to be the man, right? This is why the Apostle Paul says, obey your spiritual leaders. But if a leader who is supposed to be a follower of Yahushua demands allegiance to his name, what do you call that? Rebellion. Right? Because Apostle Paul says we must proclaim allegiance to whose name? Yahushua's name. Not anyone else's name. This is why if there are religious groups today, who convince the members to pledge their loyalty and allegiance to another name? Another name 
other than the name of Yahusha. Brethren, that is like the sin of Korah. That is Korah's rebellion. They deny Yahusha as the only sovereign and Lord of the church. This is why we need to protect ourselves from losing our salvation. So how do we do that? How do we protect and preserve our salvation today so that what happened during the days of Korah will not happen during our time? The book of Jude 1, 3 to 4. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Yahushua Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. How can we preserve our salvation today so that what happened during the days of Korah will not happen to us? We have to protect ourselves and make sure that we do not follow these men who practice the way of Cain. Number one, what else? Prophet into Balaam, who rushed for prophet into Balaam's heir. Number two. And what's number three? Korah's rebellion. We already talked about Korah's rebellion, right? During our time when a person will claim, when the people recognize someone else as Lord, other than Yahusha, then they are falling into the way of Korah in that rebellion. What else? Prophet into Balaam's heir. Because there are some people today who use religion to make a profit. Is that true? Right? They turn the non-profit organization into a for-profit entity. What is that called? That's the error of Balaam. When you rush for profit, when you turn a religion into ways of making money, it's not good. Right? Number two. And number three, the way of Cain. Do you know what the way of Cain is? What's the way of Cain? 1 John 3, 11 to 15. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. What's the way of Cain? It is the way of murder. What is the equivalent of murder? Which makes one like Cain. One who practices hatred against his brother or sister. That's the way of Cain. This is why when we look at the book of Jude. And it tells us to preserve our salvation that we share right so that we can contend for the faith bible says watch out for these men they have three characteristics religions that have these characteristics we need to stay away from them what are these characteristics religions that follow the way of cain rush for profit into balaam's error and are guilty of korah's rebellion and so these are the religions that we have to reject number one religions that promote hatred against those who do not belong to their own fellowship. Keep away from that. 
Number two, those who use religion for profit. Right? I mean, I don't know what they sell, but they sell they can sell all sorts of different things. Number three, they replace Yahushua with someone else who assumes absolute power over the entire church. If you know any institution, any religious group like that, brethren, the book of Jude says, stay away. Get away from that place. Otherwise, you too will be destroyed by the wrath of God. This is why, brethren, we're studying this so that we can preserve and protect our salvation. And so let us do what God wants us to do. Let us follow what he says. Let's learn from the history of God's people. Okay? All right. Let's go now to our Bible question and answer. Is that okay? We just have three questions today. Uh, First one is this. Uh, We have learned, Paul, in our Bible history projects that Elijah has the following attributes, power, righteousness, repentance, boldness. We believe, Paul, that Ka Felix Manalo was an Elijah figure. Because he has all these attributes, is he the last Elijah or the third Elijah? If he is the third, is it possible, Paul, that there will be more Elijahs to come until the restoration is complete? Because looking at our BHPs, looks like there are still so many things we still need to be restored. Did Ka Felix claim he is an Elijah figure? Thanks, Paul, Kajan, and I hope. We can answer in any of the Q&A for Yahuwah bless Paul. Okay. And these are legitimate points, right? So the question is, um, is Brother Felix Manalo an Elijah figure? If so, is he the last or is he the third Elijah? Not only that, did he ever claim to be an Elijah? I want to answer that first. Did Ka Felix claim he is an Elijah figure? I don't know. I never met Brother Felix Y. Manalo, so I don't know. Maybe the older ministers can answer that question, but I don't know. What I do know is this, that in one of the lessons, namely the April 7, uh, 996, 1996 worship service lesson that was preached by Brother Irani Manalo and preached throughout the world, it does mention that Brother Felix Manalo is the third Elijah. And how was this set up? How was it taught that he was the last Elijah or the third Elijah? The question in the lesson, who therefore is the third Elijah? That's the question, right? And so the phrase third Elijah, which by the way, I'm kind of disagreeing. Who are we to put number? Is he the third, the second, the fourth? We can't do that, right? There's no saying there's a third. It doesn't really mention third. So I'm not totally agreeing with that. Perhaps before I agreed with it before, but now thinking about it, it's kind of iffy because the Bible does not mention third. It does not mention second. Right, and we'll go. We'll, we'll get to that as we go on. Let's. Who therefore is the third Elijah to be sent by God to restore all things? So by asking the question, who is the third Elijah? It's like you assume that there's a third Elijah. That the Bible mentions third Elijah. When would he be sent, and what else would he do according to another biblical prophecy? And so, the answer was given in Malachi four five to six. Let's read Malachi four five to six. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before. The great and dreadful day of Yahuwah comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. So the answer to the question is, there is Brother Felix Manalo, the third Elijah, they quote Malachi 4, 5, 2, 6. And I want you to remember Malachi 4, 5 to 6, because it speaks of the prophet Elijah. At this time, prophet Elijah is where? In heaven. Right? But he will be sent again. Malachi is the last book of the Bible. 
These are the closing statements of the book of, uh, of uh, the Old Testament. That there's going to be again a prophet Elijah that will be sent before the great and dreadful day of Yahuwah comes. Right? And so how, what's the explanation or note? The note says, certainly this was not Elijah who was sent during the time of Israel. Neither was this John the Baptist who was sent shortly before the first coming of Christ. This Elijah would be sent before the great, before the dreadful day of the Lord or the second advent of Christ, which is day of judgment. What would this Elijah perform? To turn or restore the heart of the children back to their fathers or forebears. We are the offspring of the first set of the first church of Christ, which is why we are also called the daughter of Zion. And so according to the explanation in this lesson of the INC, Brother Felix Manalo is the Elijah mentioned in Malachi chapter 4, 5 down to 6, that he will bring about restoration, which is what is meant by restoring the heart of the fathers to the children and the children to their fathers. Now, did the apostles attest to God's work of restoration or restoring everything before the second coming of Christ. And they look at the he quotes Acts 3 20 to 21. Let's read Acts 3 20 21. And then he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Yahusha. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. And so, how does INC use this passage? Uh, let's look at the question. Did the apostles attest to God's work of restoration? Acts 3, 20, 21. Note, therefore, the work of this Elijah would be restoration. Brother Felix Y. Manalo fulfilled this work when he restored us from the apostate church to the true church of Christ. Hence, Brother Felix Manalo is the third Elijah who would restore all things before the second coming of Christ. And the church of Christ is the fulfillment of restoration and the last mission of salvation. So did Brother Felix Manalo ever claim that he is the third Elijah? I don't know if he ever made a claim. But what I know, what we know, is that Brother Irani Manalo does make the claim that Brother Felix Manalo is the third Elijah. However, we cannot read third Elijah there, could we? There's no third Elijah. And so to say he's the third Elijah would mean that John the Baptist is the second Elijah. And so how do we wrap our heads around this idea of an Elijah who is being sent? Well, Yahushua gives us an explanation and a revelation. Matthew 11, 11 to 15, I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And forceful men lay, lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So Yahushua says, if you are willing to accept John the Baptist, then for you, right, he is the Elijah who is to come. And so what does this suggest? It suggests to us that there are multiple iterations of the spirit of Elijah. What is the spirit of Elijah? It is basically God's way of restoring the people of God when they fall into apostasy. 
like during the days of Ahab, when they were falling along the wrong path or they were walking the wrong path, the spirit of Elijah comes, restores the right path. That's the spirit of Elijah. And so John the Baptist, did he fulfill the ministry of Elijah? Yes, because he was pointing people to the right path. Who is the right path? Yahushua. This is why when John the Baptist was alive and he was preaching, he preached about who? Yahushua. He even baptized Yahushua, the Christ. This is why, yes, John the Baptist is an Elijah figure. Can we say he's the second? It doesn't say second. We could if we want to be technical about it, we want to play number games. But who also can be an Elijah figure? How about Martin Luther? Was he not an Elijah figure too? Because he corrected some of the ways of the Catholic Church. Was he not also an Elijah figure? Could be, right? I'm not going to say yes. I'm not going to say no. I don't know. It could be, right? What's the point? The point is the spirit ministry of Elijah is the spirit of restoration. Restoring something that's wrong. And so the question now becomes, Brother Felix Manalo, is he an Elijah figure? Yes. Why? Because his ministry restored things. This is why he is also an Elijah figure. He is, is he the last Elijah? No. He's not the last Elijah before the dreadful day of Yahuwah comes. Why do we know this? Because there's another Elijah figure that's going to come, for sure. What is that? Revelation 11, 3 to 6. And I will give you power. And I will give power to my two witnesses. You read that? This is in Revelation. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. And so according to the book of Revelation, at some future date before the second advent of Yahusha, something awesome, dramatic, and powerful is going to happen. What is God going to do? He's going to give power to two witnesses these witnesses what will they do they will prophesy which is another another way of saying preaching they will preach and give testimony to yahushua what does this the prophecy say about these two witnesses they stand before the lord of the earth question who is that lord of the earth referred to there that's yahushua they will stand before the lord of the earth and so they, these, two, these two witnesses are going to do something that Yahushua wants them to do. What characterizes them? Power. What kind of power? Power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain. Does that, does that ring a bell? Whose ministry was that? Prophet? Elijah. Remember when he prayed... For rain, when he prayed for rain to stop, that was Prophet Elijah. How about this one? They have power to turn waters into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. 
What spirit and power is that? Moses. So we can see here, there will be two witnesses. And they will come and testify and preach. And they will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And the spirit and power of who? Moses. Right? Is this something new? Was this foretold before? Yeah. Let's go to Matthew 17, 1 to 3. After six days, Yahusha took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. They, there he was transfigured before them. This was called the transfiguration. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Yahusha. Remember the two witnesses? They were standing next to the Lord of the earth. In a transfiguration, these people who were in the inner circle of Yahusha, namely Peter, James, and John, they saw Yahusha's plan. They saw a prophecy. What is that? They saw Yahusha with Moses and Elijah. Right? And so does this mean that Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses? I'm not saying that. What are we saying? Whoever these two witnesses are, they will come in the spirit and power of who? Moses and Elijah. Did you get that? So these two witnesses will come in the spirit and power of Moses and Elijah. For some reason, the Bible connects the two all the time. Right? Remember the story of uh, Moses, the challenge? <clears throat> Moses and Elijah are always getting connected. And so in the future... There's going to be the two witnesses who will come in the spirit and power of Moses and Elijah. So after this transfiguration, once Moses and Elijah disappeared, what did Yahusha say to them? 9 to 13. As they were coming down the mountain, uh, Yahusha instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Yahusha replied, to be sure, Elijah comes. And will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him. But have done to him everything they wish. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So Yahushua confirmed John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. But he also says, Elijah will restore all things. Did John the Baptist restore all things? No, he started the work of restoration by pointing to the way who is Yahushua HaMashiach. But that restoration is not complete. So will there be future works of Elijah? Yes. Yes. And what do we need to understand about this spirit of Elijah? Let's go back to Malachi 4, 4 to 6. Remember the law of my servant, Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Oreb and all Israel, for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of Yahuwah comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And so according to Malachi, before the great and dreadful day of Yahuwah comes, the spirit of Elijah is going to come again. He will send the prophet Elijah again, right? Not only that, the instruction comes, remember what? Yeah. You see how Elijah and Moses are joined together all the time? This is why there's going to be 
another Elijah. When? I don't know. When are they prophesied to appear? Before the second advent of Yahusha. But this time, it's going to be the spirit and power of Elijah and who? Moses. Ask the two witnesses. Who are the two witnesses? We will study all about the two witnesses. Not today, but when we get to the book of Revelation. You want to hear that lesson about the two witnesses. Okay, so go to the next question. Hello, Paul, uh, Brother John. I have questions. If Lord, L-O-R-D means Baal, why are we going to call our Yahuwah Abba as Lord and also our Savior Yahusha as Lord as well? Are we not calling our are we not calling or praying to Baal every time we mention Lord to our loving father Yahuwah and to our Savior Yahusha by calling both of them Lord in our prayers or every time we mention Lord? Are we not making our Lord Father Yahuwah and Savior Yahusha jealous? Because we know already by now that Lord means Baal. Why continue to use Paul in calling to our Creator and to our Savior? I ask about it because I always hear Paul in the prayer, every worship gathering of ours, and in every prayer in our BHP. We do not want our Creator and our Savior to get mad at us, Paul, and leave, and leave us. Why? Do we continue to mention Lord when we know the meaning of the word Lord? Okay, that's a good question, right? That's a very valid question. And so when we speak, why do we call Yahuwah Lord? And why do we call Yahusha Lord when Lord means Baal? Well, there are other words that mean Lord. There are many different definitions of Lord. And when we say Baal, what kind of word is that? In the... Uh, Blue Letter Bible, the word Baal in Hebrew, if you look at the part of speech, what does it say there? Baal is a proper noun. What is a proper noun? It is a noun that is a person, right? Like Larry, like Larry Trump, Biden, right? They're proper nouns. And so it's like a personal name. So Baal is like a personal name. And so the word Baal, the meaning of it is, if you look at the, uh, the definition, Baal at the bottom, what does it say? Baal equals what? Lord. So the name Baal is a name that has the meaning of Lord, right? Does it mean we cannot use the word Lord when referring to God, when referring to the Son of God? Well, in the book of Psalms, 110, verse 1, this is what it says. The Lord, which is Yahuwah, right? Because it's L-O-R-D, says to my Lord... Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so this is obviously a prophecy about the one who is to sit at the right hand of Yahuwah. Who is that? Yahusha. And the Bible says this one who is going to sit at the right hand of Yahuwah is going, is called what? Lord. Yahusha says to my Lord. And so in Psalms 110 verse 1, the word Lord in Hebrew, is it Baal? Let's read. This is the, again, the uh, blue letter Bible. When you look at unto my Lord, right? It's the Hebrew word, 113. And what word is that? Our favorite word, Adon. <laughs> right? The Hebrew word Adon. What does that mean? It is a noun, not a personal noun. Right? What kind of noun is it? It's a masculine noun. It's a regular noun. And so what does it mean? Firm, strong, Lord, master, right? 
And so we can use master, we can use Lord Adonai or Adon to refer to Yahusha and even to refer to Yahuwah. Yes, Baal means Lord, but it's a proper noun. Adonai or Adon is Lord and it's a regular noun, right? It describes an office or a relationship. This is why there's nothing wrong with using the word Lord. Okay, well, how else? Is Yahusha, how did Yahusha become Lord? Book of Acts 2, 34, 36, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, referring to Yahusha, both Lord and Christ, this Yahusha whom you crucified. And so how did Yahusha become Lord? God made him. Lord. When it says God made him Lord, does it mean God made him Baal? No, because the name Baal does mean Lord, but there's also a word that means master, which is not Baal, right? What is that? In the Greek word, what is that Greek word that's used for Lord? It is Kyrios, and Kyrios means what? Master and Lord, and so we can call Yahusha Lord, which means in Hebrew, Adon, and in Greek, Kyrios. What does that mean? Master, one who po uh, possesses us, one who owns us, one to whom we belong to, give allegiance to. This is why there's nothing wrong with using the name Lord. But if we use the name itself, Baal, that's different because that, uh, we're not saying that Yahusha is Baal, okay? Because remember, in Hebrew, the names, even the proper names, also have meanings. Okay, that's why Baal and Lord, although they are synonymous, we're not using Lord in when referring to Yahusha and Yahuwah in a sense of the proper name, Baal. Okay, all right, here's another one. Last one, promise. Yahusha prayed the whole night. I mean, whole night. But why? Is there so much to say? You know, it might, start, it might be repetitious. Can one stay awake and pray the same thing? That's, that's a legitimate question, right? Yahusha prayed the whole night. Where do we get that in the Bible? Luke 6, 12. At that, at that time, Yahusha went up a hill to pray and spent the whole night there praying to God. Take note of where Yahusha prayed. Was it the temple? No. Where did he pray? On a hill. How long did he pray? The whole night. How many here can pray the whole night? <laughs> What do we need to understand about prayer? It's personal. Okay, what else? Connection, right? What else? Communication. When you communicate with someone, do you do all the talking? When you communicate with someone, you have a conversation with someone, can you sometimes have a conversation the whole night? You do that? You go to a friend's house, and then you just sit there and you talk. Can that sometimes last the whole night? Mm -hmm. Why? Because there's an exchange, right? Not one person is just doing the talking. Someone's talking and then you listen as the other one talks. That's what prayer ought to be. It's an exchange, right? We talk, we listen. Yahushua could spend the whole night praying to God because the whole night he was connected to Yahuwah our God. He was praying, 
and he was also listening. Can we pray like Yahusha? When we are spiritually ready. Can we pray all night? We could, if you want, but don't let that be a congregational prayer. This is why we want to teach you, brethren, not to rely on the congregational prayer. You should pray on your own so that you can pray so that you can not just talk to God, but also have God talk to you. What do you mean? God's going to talk to us? Yeah. He's going to make himself known to us. How is that possible? Well, this is what the Bible says in the book of Psalms 46.10. Be still. It begins by being still. And know that I am God. You see, when we become still, we prepare our minds and our heart so that we can know who? God. How can we know God? God reveals himself to us. Isn't that part of communication? When you talk to someone, you have a conversation with someone, you talk, they talk. What do they do when they talk back to you? They reveal themselves to you, right? Don't you want God to reveal himself to you? Well, Yahuwah was telling us, be still and know that I am God. You see, when we take the time to be still so that we can Pray to God and connect with him. God will reveal himself to us so that we can know him. But the problem is we're so distracted, right? When we pray, we just, if we are to really admit it, when we pray, we pray like a ritual, right? It's like a five-second blitz or a 20-second blitz. You pray for the, for the food, for example, right? Those are okay. But there's times when you really have to be alone with him. You know, go to a secluded place and just be alone with God. Be still. What does it mean to be still? Well, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word be still is the Hebrew 7503. In Hebrew, it's Rafa. Okay. So be still means Rafa. What does that mean? Rafa. Well, Rafa is a verb. It means to sink, relax, sink down, to drop, to relax, to withdraw, to let go. That's what it means. Sometimes we're so distracted and stressed out, we just, when we pray, we don't really pray. And this is why oftentimes in scriptures, we have people who give themselves the opportunity to sink down, to deeply relaxed. Because when you're deeply relaxed, your mind and your heart, it becomes more receptive to God so that you can know God. See, God wants to speak to us, but sometimes we kind, we kind of uh, distract ourselves so we don't get to listen to him, right? So we need to make create opportunities to be still, to relax and get into a different state of mind. <laughs> like who? Book of Acts 10, 9 to 13. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, so he secluded himself. He went to the roof. Because there's not many people there, no distractions, right? And so he prayed and he was hungry. But while the meal, a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. That's Rafa. That's Rafa, right? He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And the voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. And so when we take the time to rest our minds, we become more receptive to God. And when God is able to reveal things to us in a trance, in a deep state of prayer, what can we see? 
we can see revelations from God. This is how Peter received this breakthrough. This was a breakthrough what Apostle Peter received here, right? Because from this vision, the Gentiles now are being called by who? God. This was a big breakthrough. And it came to Apostle Peter when he was in prayer in deep trance. Who else prayed like that? Book of Acts 22. Uh, after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. Rafa, deep. I saw a vision of Yahushua saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. And so here's the Apostle Paul, right? He also prayed, but his prayer was a prayer that required him to first relax his mind. So that he can get into a trance and then he saw a vision of Yahushua who told him you better leave this place, right? And so when, why do we need to get into that state so that we are able to receive revelation from God so that we can pray long prayers and feel reinvigorated? Hebrews 4 and 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and Spirit. You see, the human being is composed of three parts, right? The body, the soul, and the spirit. The soul and the spirit are, are so connected together. They're so close together, closely knit together. It's only the word of God that is able to penetrate between them. And so when you go deeper, you get in touch with your spirit. See, when we take the time to relax our mind and our body, we are more receptive to the work of our spirit. God gave us a spirit. And what is the purpose of a spirit that, is, that God has given us? Romans 8, 16, 17. God's spirit joins himself to our spirits to declare that we are God's children. Since we are his children, we will possess the blessings he keeps for his people. And we will also possess with Christ what God has kept for him. For if we share Christ's suffering, we will also share his glory. You see, all of us have a spirit. When we slow down and be focused and get into that kind of consciousness where we are able to be receptive of the work of the Spirit in us, God's Spirit, when it joins us, we are receptive to that. This is why we need to be in this. That's what it means to be in the Spirit when we pray. We don't just casually pray. We don't just pray out of the blue. We prepare ourselves. This is why we meditate. We slow down. And then we pray a deep prayer to God so that we can have access, so that we can discern the work of God's spirit when he joins our spirit. Like the apostle John, when he was in trance because he was in the spirit, you know what he was able to do? Revelation 1, 10 to 11, on the Lord's day, the spirit took control of me. And I heard a loud voice that sounded like a trumpet speaking behind me. It said, write down what you see and send the book to the churches in these seven cities, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So the whole book of Revelation was put together when Apostle John was in that deep state where he was able to receive a vision, a message in the spirit. And so when we pray, brethren, we, we can pray in the spirit. When we pray in the flesh and we think about Yahushua praying the whole night, we say, wow, how can you do that? But when we learn how to pray in the spirit, you know, and I'm sure it takes training, but when we're able to do that, spending the whole night 
would Yahuwah would invigorate us because Yahuwah will make known himself to us. That's why he said, be still and know that I am God. But for us to become like Yahusha in praying, we have to do something. What is that? But your iniquities have separated you, separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. We need to remove sin because sin is a barrier that causes God to hide from us. See, when Yahusha prayed, it was like having a, a conversation with Yahuwah, right? But for us, well, we're not there yet. Why? Because we have iniquity. We have sin, right? Yes, legally, we have been absolved of our sins because of the death of Yahusha. But personally, we continue to sin. And so that kind of separates us still in a perfect relationship with Jehovah God. So we need to work on that. Not only that, one more passage, Isaiah 57, 15. I am the high and holy God who lives forever. I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with people who are humble and repentant so that I can restore their confidence and hope. And so when we are humble, when we are repentant, then we are able to pray in the spirit as well. And we will be able to feel the presence and even messages from Yahuwah our God when we are in tune with him because he wants to tell us something. We are his children, brethren. What kind of father is it who does not want to say things to his children, right? Brethren, we want, to, we want you to practice praying in the spirit, just like Paul and Peter and John and the best example of all who? Yahusha. When we learn to pray like that, Prayer is no longer a ritual. It becomes an adventure. Not just an adventure. It becomes a source of strength and guidance. And hopefully we can all learn to pray like that. Pray and listen to what God has to say. Next time you pray, you have an hour, two hours, be in a secluded place and just talk to Yahuwah about anything and let him talk to you and listen to the spirit of God penetrating your heart so that he can comfort you and tell you something wonderful that will lift you up and strengthen you all the more okay all right let us stand together and we shall pray together everlasting father yes thank you so much yes for the wisdom that you have given to us today. Amen. We know that you have given your son. Yes. So that we can be your sons and daughters. Yes. What a privilege it is to be able to pray to you. Amen. Father, when your people decide to get to know you better. Yes. When they will create opportunities to spend longer time yes. to pray to you. Yes. And seek your will. Yes. Speak to us, Father. Yes. How we long to hear from you. Yes. yes. Even if it's just for a second. Oh, oh, Father, how we long to hear from you. Yes. Your voice is precious to us. Yes. Please guide us. Prepare our hearts. Yes. Prepare our minds. If we have sinned against you yes. and have not yet repented, show us our sins yes. and cleanse us, oh, Father, yes. so that we can pray to you the way Yahusha prayed, Amen. the yes. way Paul and Peter prayed. How we wish we can have that level of connection, yes. that level of fellowship with you. That yes. means everything to us. You are our everything. Please yes. reveal yourself to your people. Yes. Guide us in every step we take. Yes. 
We can see what's happening throughout the world. You are preparing for the great day of judgment. Yes. The great day of our salvation. Yahushua, our king, yes. speak to us as well. Teach us to learn how to connect and fellowship with you. Yes. When we do so, be with us. May we hear your voice. Yes. We want to hear your voice too. Yes. You are our shepherd. Those who listen to your voice and yes. hold on to them. They are the ones who will have everlasting life. Amen. We want to spend eternity with you yes. together with our Abba. So that forever we can always be among you and the Father. Amen. Father, thank you for listening to us. Yes. Forgive us our sins and prepare us. For the great day of our salvation. Amen. We ask and beg everything Father. In the name of our Lord and Savior. Yahushua the Christ. Amen. Amen.